Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. We began a series last week entitled A Song of Hope. We talked about anxiety a bit last week. Today, we're going to be talking about depression. Um, it gets better after this Sunday, okay? So hang in there. Uh, today is going to be a particularly interesting kind of service. And I would hope that you'd be able to, to stay with us through the whole process of this. Um, I, I'm really hoping that there's going to be... Well, let's, let's take a moment here. Let's just for a moment let's stop. Father... Each of these services are different. There are different um, people present in this. And I ask God that each one of us as a team right now be sensitive to that. And that, Lord, you would shape this time to bring freedom and um, relief and awareness and encouragement to those who are gathered here right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Depression is not always an obvious type of thing. It can catch you by surprise. The last couple of years, we've seen some significant ones that were pretty shocking. Anthony Bourdain, if you followed any of his uh, work, known for that show, No Reservations, and, you know, Parts Unknown. He was this amazing chef, traveled all over the place, amazing life, incredible life. Committed suicide June 8th, 2018, at age 61. Seemed to have everything going for him. Chester Bennington, at age 41, he was the lead singer for Lincoln Park. I mean, the guy's vocals were amazing, and the depth of passion, he channeled his own pain into songs of, of incredible depth. He hung himself on July 20th, 2017. Aaron Hernandez, an NFL player, age 27, checked himself out in 2017. Robin Williams. Robin Williams? Mark? I mean, this guy was the most amazing comic I think that you'll ever have seen. He was incredible for his improv. He made so many of us laugh and and just was amazing in his humor. But had struggled with depression for decades. Stats say that it's up by 56% or so in just the last five years of time. Along with anxiety, it's one of the top things that's impacting across all age groups, this whole idea of depression. There's been a number of high-profile pastors who have committed suicide. Successful churches, seemingly effective ministry, wonderful human beings from all appearances. Some of the stats we know that 70% of pastors struggle with depression. And so it was shocking when some of these individuals took their own life. They're the ones who are supposed to help us out, watch over us. In fact, when we go to the whole idea of, of looking at um, depression, it's not just the issue of these stars, or these people that have these major pressers. It, it hits everybody, and, and it's something that we find even within Scripture. We find person after person, great people of faith, 
who struggle in the issues of mental health. No one is immune from the challenges of this. Doesn't matter how many times you go to church or how deep you are, no one is immune from these issues. I mean, take a look sometime at the book of Job. I mean, isn't that a real, you know, picker-upper? <laughs> this guy struggled. You can look at, uh, uh, at King David and a lot of the Psalms, most of the Psalms that we have seem to come from him. Here's an example. My soul is in deep anguish. My bones are in agony. How long? How long, Lord? Most of the Psalms start in this dark place. Most of them get better, but not all of them. You've got Elijah. Elijah was one of the most fantastic prophets that you're ever going to see. They're the only guy to call down fire from heaven, literally. And then right after that high point, and we'll talk a little bit about how we handle um, uh, a song of hope in the midst of victory, in the midst of that, we're going to talk about that next week, but right after that victorious moment, he goes into a crashing depression that in 1 Kings has him saying to God, take away my life, I've got to die sometime, and it might as well be now. You can go on and on. Jonah, this guy had serious issues. Um... John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets. I mean, this guy was powerful. He didn't fear anybody. He was just trashing conventions and, and making way for the Messiah to come. He was an intense character, powerful. Until he makes a comment about one of the ruler's marital status and situations and finds himself in prison. And in prison, it wasn't like our local hawk-up. This was a pit. This was a pit with slime and bad food and rats and everything else you could imagine. And he's in this pit. And suddenly, John, the ever-loving Baptist, struggles with faith. He sends one of his disciples to Jesus to say, are you the one? I've spent my whole life, I've spent my entire focus of who I am on sharing your truth and speaking of your coming and everything I have done has been settled around that and I am in prison, I am in a pit of despair. Little note for those of you who are in the Princess Bride. I'm in the pit of despair. And Jesus sends back word he doesn't flat out say, I'm a Messiah, but he says, look, here's what's going on, John. People are, are being healed. There's, there's demons being destroyed. The Messiah, things are happening. The kingdom of God is on the move. Don't give it up. Don't give it up yet. John the Baptist processes through that whole element. You've got people like C.S. Lewis, a great person of faith, who wrote The Problem of Pain, and in there he says, mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain. Mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it is more common and harder to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental-slash-emotional pain only increases the burden. It's easier to say, my tooth is aching, than to say, my heart is broken. Studies have been done that show that the same areas of the brain light up at emotional pain and mental pain, as do physical pain. In other words, your broken arm sends a message to the brain just as much as if your heart has been broken. We can look to Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ dealt with depression. He definitely dealt with despair. He's on the cross. 
He's bearing the weight of all humanity. God the Father, somehow something happens in this entity called the Trinity that is unheard of throughout all time and space, and there has to be some turning away. And so Jesus is on the cross, and he does as many of us would do. Many of us who are believers, those of you that are not, you can understand this, that, that when we are in turmoil and trial, one of the things we do is we pray out to God. And one of the things we do oftentimes is we quote scriptures that reflect our emotions, and Jesus does this. He quotes Psalm 22. But he's not just sitting here and quoting things. It is the expression of his heart. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It wasn't a questioning. It was an expression of the moment he was enduring. The rest of the psalm relates um, his exact situation on the cross. It's a prophetic statement of what's happening to him. I always find it interesting that the 23rd Psalm follows after that, where it talks about a place of being provided in the midst of his enemies and in the shadow of death. And here's Jesus with his enemies at his very feet surrounding him and in the shadow of death, and yet still having the presence to maintain and to continue through. A lot of us go through life and we end up with some depression for a variety of reasons. There can be uh, um, physical issues, there can be different circumstances, our own failures and one of those can be just the regrets that we have of wrong turns or mistakes or errors we made that we replay like broken tapes over and over in our head. Could I have done this better if I'd only gotten that right? There's only one time in all of history that I know that someone was able to die with absolutely zero regret, with total knowledge that they had done the exact and everything they could do. And that's Tony Stark in Avengers Endgame. <laughs> Because it's in that one that Dr. Strange, which is a great name. You can walk up and say, hi, I'm Strange. Yes, you are. <laughs> Dr. Strange has gone through all the multiplicities of possibilities, through all the infiniteness of all the universe, and has figured out there's only one possible way to beat the enemy, only one possible solution, and it's going to fall on Tony. And so in the midst of the battle, at the critical moment, they lock eyes across the field of battle, and Dr. Strange goes like this that to indicate this is the one time. This is it. You do it, or we're all lost. And Tony seizes the moment, that classic line at the end, I am Iron Man. I do like that part. <laughs> I don't have anything that lines up with that. I am Pastor Man. Just, <laughs> doesn't work, guys. Just doesn't flow. Doesn't evoke the same kind of thing. And so Tony dies in that scene knowing that he's done absolutely everything he could do. Perfectly right. Zero regrets is the perfect solution. None of us have that option. So we struggle through life. We process the things that we deal with. We look at all these characters in Scripture. We see Jesus himself and how he processes that, which can give us hope in knowing that, that he is actually someone who understands where we're at, that you don't deal with a cold, aloof God. That's the whole beauty of Christianity. We don't deal with some distant, lotus-eating person in the planet far, far away or in a distant galaxy. We deal with a God who became flesh, who walked amongst us, who feels and felt what we feel and felt. If you struggle with these issues of depression, you don't need to be embarrassed. You need to know that you worship a God and you serve a God who knows what you feel. There's this prophet named Jeremiah, and you think prophets have got it easy. They're the mouthpiece of God. Jeremiah, one of the headers in reviewing his life, says, chosen by God, rejected by men. 
he had probably the most unsuccessful ministry ever. I don't think anyone came to a realization of God in his time period. Everyone ignored everything he said. Guy had a wonderful life. And this is one of the things he wrote. Lamentations 3. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He's walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He, He's blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He's made my paths crooked. He's a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He's made me desolate. He bent his bow and set as a target for his arrow, me. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. Listen to the detail of this. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness and has sated me with wormwood. This line here, he's made my teeth grind on gravel. He made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness even is. And so I say what I say. I say my endurance has perished. And so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction, people. Remember my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continuously remembers it and is bowed down within me. Now that's the guy you want at your Christmas party next year. <laughs> Gravel, brokenness, my hope is gone. I am desolate, everything. Verse 1 through 20 there are those of you in this room that struggle with depression and it is a darkness that is difficult to escape. There are others of you that have no clue. You're oblivious to the person. They walk by you all the time. And the purpose of this gathering here is to give voice to those whose voices have not been heard and have been seen to be invisible. And also for those who have not addressed that, to hear their pain and their circumstances. And if we were to stop, and if, if Jeremiah stopped here, I would label him a false prophet, and I'd want nothing else to do with him or the God he speaks of. If he's talking to me, and this is his message to me today. And for some of us, this is where we stop at verse 20. But you need to read on. You need to move on, because there are four more verses at the end of this chapter. It continues after this 20th verse where my head is bowed down within me and you can almost imagine this incredible, deep, long pause in the pain of his agony. And then he continues on. But this I call to mind. I discipline myself in my pain. I dredge up over all the other thoughts and I take captive this one thing and I call it to mind. And therefore, I have hope. Why? 
Because I know in the depth of my spirit, in the quietness of my soul, and in the midst of the rejection by everyone else, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. I may not see it, but it is still present. It never ceases. His mercies, they never come to an end. They are new every morning I get up. With the weight on my back, every morning I get up and it's a little lighter because I know he's there. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. And therefore, therefore I will hope in him. Incredible. This guy goes for 20 verses pouring his guts on the floor. And somewhere in the midst of that, there's this pause and he brings to mind and he's drawn into the love of God and he finishes with hope. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, now faith is the substance or the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And we think of hope like I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow, which means we're just kind of hoping, but we kind of think it probably will, so we carry umbrellas along with us. But where it's speaking of is here is a different terminology of hope. It means an absolute assurance. It has a closer relationship to trust. In other words, we don't hope God is going to help us out at some point in time. We trust that he is going to. We have faith that he is going to. It is that trust in God. And trust is only as good as the guarantor. Trust in God is a safe place to put that trust and that faith. And maybe we're in verses 1 through 20 working our way up to the 20th verse. But we can have hope that verses 21 through 24 are coming, that his grace is going to be provided for us. And I want to walk you very quickly through a few things here in the short period of time that we have. I want to suggest to you several things. One is that if you're processing depression, you should consider medication. Medication is something God has provided, I think, and shaped in many cases. Penicillin has saved thousands, millions of lives probably at this point in time. Other medications, why not that? Check that out. Talk to a physician. View that. Maybe it's something that's applicable to you. The second thing I would suggest to you, if you either bypass that or it doesn't apply to you, is a strange one. It's nature, something else God has created. It's actually more effective and it's a whole lot cheaper than medication. Researchers at Britain's Essex University have found that, um, uh, that, that 71% of those suffering from depression said a 30-minute walk outdoors made them feel better about themselves. Of the patients who took part in conservation projects, went cycling or hiked, 94% said the activities brought about greater mental health. Researchers are now calling this new treatment ecotherapy. And you can apply it anywhere, even on the way home today, if you walk. There's something about being in nature. There's something about connecting to those roots that actually lightens spirit and can encourage us in what we're doing and in our process. It's a connecting back into God. Take a walk. Take a hike. Walk outside. Get some exercise. Something of like that there, the endorphins alone, but also there's something about connecting. It's not just enough to do your treadmill in your room. It's getting outside and getting connected somehow that changes things. But there's a third item that addresses us here today. There's a study done by Rush University Medical Center in Chicago, and they found this, 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 quote, belief in a concerned God can improve response to medical treatment in patients that were diagnosed with clinical depression. The operative word here is caring. The researchers said this, quote, the study found that those with strong beliefs in a personal and concerned God were more likely to experience improvement. 
They compared the levels of melancholy or hopelessness in these adults diagnosed with major depression or bipolar depression with their sense of, quote, religious well-being, unquote. They found participants who scored in the top third of a scale charting a sense of religious well-being were 75% more likely to get better with medical treatment for clinical depression. Quote, in our study, the positive response to the medication had little to do with the feelings of hope that typically accompany spiritual beliefs, said uh, study director Patricia Murphy. It was tied specifically to the belief that a supreme being cared. I'm here today to tell you that not some supreme being, that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob cares specifically for you. Where you're seated, where you're at right now, the thoughts racing through your head, the distractions, whatever mental things you're chasing at this moment besides what we're talking about here today. God is seeing you, knows you. Isaiah 43, the prophet tells us, so now thus says the Lord who created you, who formed you. Fear not, for I've redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. He names you. He knows who you are. He knows what you're processing. He cares specifically about you. You need to realize that your presence in this world matters to him. And that your absence from this world is a loss to all of us. That you matter to him. There's an a, 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 a author named Madeline Langle. How many of you have read uh, A Wrinkle in Time? Those are my people. The rest of you guys read more, okay? It's a children's book. It's not a hard one to read. And, and she has a series that starts with A Wrinkle in Time, and I think it's the second or third one, where she introduces a thought of, of, a, of, of creatures called ekthroi. And the ekthroi's purpose in, in their existence is to extinguish all life. It's to X out people. And they do this by taking away their identity in part. And so to X out or extinguish people, that's what they want to do. And the way to counter it, the key protagonist finds, is to lovingly name the person. That they have an identity, that they are known, that they are named in love. And that and when they're named, when they know who they are, then, then the ekthroi have to flee and they cannot extinguish them. They stand in the confidence of their identity. Christ came to name every single one of you. He knows the hairs on our heads. He knows who we are. He names us by name. He knows us and expresses that. For some of us, it goes further. We're also given other names like musician or artist or scientist or physician. And, and, and those things add to our identity. But the central identity you have and should have if you have nothing else is your name, lovingly said by the creator who made you and shaped you and loves you and cares for you. Sometimes when I've had down times or, or a mistake or a failure, I, I've said in the past, I said I usually take like five minutes to have a real good depression and then I start thinking about how I can make sure I never make that mistake again or how I'll bypass that or get around it and I work myself out of it and I, I start driving towards a goal again. Last little season of time, that five minutes has gone roughly yeah, six months or so um, depending on the situation. But there is something about, about making choices and moving forward and deciding that we're going to take steps and, and, and actually change what's going on around us. But it's hard to do because depression is something that stifles us. Another quick reading process here. How many of you have ever heard of Sylvia Plath? 
This is getting depressing, guys. Okay? Sylvia Plath was a um, poet and I'm a writer, and it's understandable maybe that you wouldn't know her, to be honest. Um, she died in the previous century. Uh, um, she is known for a number of things. One is her brilliance. The other one is her intense bouts of self-doubt, self, self um, dejection, and depression. Eventually, she uh, committed suicide by putting her head inside of uh, an oven and turning on uh, the gas. Now, some of you can say, well, you shouldn't even talk about these things. Never talk about suicide or depression because other people may think. Let me tell you something. They're thinking it already. What they're wanting to know is if there's anybody that even cares or recognizes what they're going through. It's ironic that she chose that method of suffocation in a way to die because she wrote an, a, a book called the, uh, the Bell Jar. And in the Bell Jar, her primary um, metaphor for for um, uh, what she was feeling and feeling trapped and confined and limited and airless and pressed upon was something called the bell jar. Now a bell jar is something like this, uh, oftentimes with a handle on top, we would use it maybe to, to you know, dust protect an item or, or something of an illustrative type thing. And her illustration though was to say, this is how I feel. I feel like a giant bell jar has dropped over my life. I can't breathe. I am confined. I am, I am torn apart. I see things distorted through the glass. And I am dying. And I can't seem to break out of that. To my understanding, Sylvia never had any kind of understanding of hope that was rooted in a caring creator or in a God who went on a cross and themselves understands the sense of forsakenness and darkness that she experienced. But that is what a lot of people feel and experience. I would prefer more myself, Emily Dickinson. Please, tell me you've heard of her. Please? Even just lie to me, just today, just lie. It's okay, God will forgive you later. Emily Dickinson, total different person. She had such cheer and such hope and such awareness. And she says this, hope, hope, hope is the thing with feathers. That's just weird. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard. And sore must be the storm that could abash that little bird that kept so many warm. I've heard it in the chilliest land and on the strangest sea, yet never in extremity it asked a crumb of me. She sees hope as something alive and fluttering. We who are followers of Christ, we recognize that our hope ultimately is in Christ himself. And so I go to one more artist who I'm sure you've not heard of, even though you may have sung his songs, William Cooper. He wrote and was a tremendous poet. He wrote something called The Task in 1785, and he describes his comfort from knowing Christ, even though he struggled with depression. And he says this, I was a stricken deer that left the herd long since with many an arrow deep in fixed kind of evokes lamentations. He must have read that. With many an arrow deep infixed in my panting side was charged when I withdrew to seek a tranquil death in distant shades. He's running strong. Something hits him. He's going to off to die. And there was I found by one who had himself been hurt by the archers. In his side he bore and in his hands and feet the cruel scars. With gentle force, Soliciting the darts, 
he drew them forth and healed and bade me live. No one is immune to mental health challenges. We see this throughout our life. We see this throughout individuals who are in Scripture. We see it in Christ himself. I'm going to have you experience something, I hope, this morning. And to do this, I need to communicate this. In a few moments of time, just a few minutes, we're going to black out the sanctuary. If you need to exit for any reason, I would hope you'd stay. But if you need to exit for any reason, just know that for the next probably five to ten minutes, we're going to ask that no one would move around or exit. So if you need to do that, you can do it quietly now. But we're going to be drawing the lights down. I want you to be tuned to that. And what we're going to do in this remaining moment of time is simply this. For those of us that have had life in the bell jar, for those of us that have had trouble getting past verse 20 of Lamentations, for those who struggle with depression and the burden of this, I want to give voice to your pain this morning. For those that don't struggle with this, I want you to understand that voice. And I don't think I can adequately communicate that. So, I'm going to ask if they'd turn the lights out, please. And I want those of you who are gathered here in this room first of all have no fear but some of us we need to realize this is how life feels for those who struggle with depression like it's darkest on even the brightest of days suffocating through a bell jar that distorts even what we see and here. And so this morning, I want to give voice to that pain. And I want others of us to hear that voice and understand. And ultimately, my hope is that we will move past the 20th verse of Lamentations. That you'll not just hear the voice of pain and loss. But this morning, if you listen carefully and stay through it long enough, that you'll also hear the voice of hope.
from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out to you by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. I'm here. 
the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory in his name the nations will put their hope. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. this to mind and therefore I have hope the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end they are new every morning great is your faithfulness the Lord is my portion says my soul therefore I will hope in him. When the lies speak louder than the truth, remind me I belong to you. And when I can't see past the dark of night, remind me you're always by my side. Speak louder than the truth. 
darkness will break. I'll keep on singing your praise. There's nothing can take my hallelujah. Nothing can take my hallelujah. Shadows will break. Darkness will break. If you want to come for prayer, if you want to find a quiet place of your own for prayer, I'd encourage you, but I want you to realize the importance of gathering together. We need each other. We need to encourage one another. We need to praise and worship together. If you're someone who has struggled with our topic here today, then I want you to know that you're heard and that you're seen and that you're named. And for the rest of you, um, open your eyes. It's not always obvious. Some of them are the, the ones we're putting on the best face. But you could be God's hand extended in that moment of time. Now, uh, next week we shift the gears, okay? You got through the tough part. Hang with us for the rest. We'll make it to Christmas Eve. And it'll be a wonderful life. <laughs> That one you know. <laughs> I am really uh, thankful that Jeremiah didn't stop at verse 20. <laughs> 
Isaiah the prophet tells us that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. But those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has shined. Father, I pray right now for those who have struggled with this issue. I pray, God, that this would be a crack in the bell jar, if not a complete shattering of it. That they'd be able to breathe free again that they would be encouraged and lifted up in hope even if they don't see the fullness of it yet, that they would hear the, the echoes of the footsteps of the warrior that's coming to set them free. That alone would sustain them in the darkness. In whatever pit they find themselves in, like John the Baptist, that they would know they are not forgotten. They are known and they are named. I thank you for your grace. Without you, our light and our salvation this would be a dark place indeed. We thank you for your grace, Lord, for it's in Jesus' name that we are gathered. In that same name, do now go forth. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.